Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre, and tries to find an answer. Caroline, how are you this week? Well, Sean, it's the most wonderful time of the year. That is exactly right. My wife's favorite time of year just started, because with October comes Halloween season. I mean, Halloween season is every season in this house. Yes, I could tell by the decorations, but uh, <laughs> but this Halloween is going to be four weeks of spooky stories from your friends here at Ain't It Scary. Uh, we always go spooky um, in some way or another, of course, but uh, we're going to go extra kind of Halloween-y horror-themed topics for this month. Yeah, so spoiler alert, uh, we have today's topic, which Sean will get into. Then we have a two-parter coming up about the Salem Witch Trials, which I've been promising uh, since the beginning of the show. So we're going to do that. So two weeks of witches, and um, only only a two-parter, huh? I, I almost thought you would extend that even further. There's a lot to get to. Yeah, I was. I think at some point I'll be able to do other Salem stories and ghost stories and things like that, but I think... I think I can get it to two parts. All right. Fingers crossed. Listeners, check back in for that. She's mm. got a lot to fit in. Absolutely. But this week, uh, before we get to the witches, we're going to go to another Halloween costume staple. Uh, this is something that I dressed up as when I was six years old for Halloween. Aww. I dressed up as Lon Chaney's uh, Wolfman. So we're going to be talking about Lon Chaney? With plastic mask and a... Um, I think that was I, Lon Chaney Jr. It, of course, yes. I'm sorry. Lon Chaney Jr., not the Phantom himself, Lon <laughs> Chaney. Um, but yeah, so I, I loved that movie when I was a kid. Werewolves have always fascinated me. I've always thought they uh, beat the pants off of vampires. <laughs> uh, I guess it depends on which mythology you're looking at. Well, interesting way to put that, Carrie, because we are going to start today by getting into wolfman folklore and mythology and kind of uh, uh dig into the stories that gave rise to our lons cheney <laughs> what is lon short for is i don't think it's short lon interesting maybe it's lawrence cheney <laughs> <laughs> that's a a niche rupaul's drag race uk uh reference yeah for all of our listeners who are into that <laughs> lawrence cheney maybe it is short for lawrence I don't know. That would make her drag name better. Yes. Well, Carrie, let's talk about Wolfman and not Lawrence Cheney, the British drag queen. <laughs> uh, although Wolfman stories do come originally from Europe, uh, from the best that I can tell. Nice segue. That's right. Uh, you see, Carrie, uh, stories of man wolves date back as far as humans have been telling stories, basically, as long as there have been campfires. There have been stories of men turning into horrible predators of the night and losing control of themselves. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the tale is old as time. It's perhaps inevitable that Europeans' most seen and most feared predator would find its way into folklore, right? Throughout Europe, you had wolves uh, sort of around the, the edges of society, menacing the frontiers, worrying the sheep snatching livestock and certainly if you're in england but um, in most of europe that's really the predator you're going to see the most and that mothers are going to like warn their children about and things like that and so it makes sense that kind of a folklore monstrous version of that would 
would appear. In fact, there are similar stories from around the world about people transforming into animals, and usually other dangerous local predators are just kind of stuck right in the place of the wolf there uh, when there aren't any local wolves. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in African folklore, you have were-hyenas. And in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> Slayer Season 1. Uh, that's yeah. true, yeah. Uh, Xander became a shitty uh, hyena for a little while. Yeah, spoiler alert. This was a little different, and there's uh, versions of this from all over the African continent, but as one example, um, in Ethiopia, there is a traditional belief that all blacksmiths are sorcerers who have the ability to transform themselves into hyenas, and they're called Buddha. B-O-U-D-A. Why blacksmiths? Uh, blacksmithing is has traditionally been a, I think in a lot of places, but certainly in Ethiopia, it was a hereditary trade, something fathers would teach to sons, mm -hmm. kind of keep that secret knowledge in the family sort of thing. And so that leads to, A, your family- Hyenas? Well, it leads to your family being rich and powerful, but in a way that none of the rest of the villagers can understand. And so that turns you into kind of, in a way, a scary, outcasty kind of a figure. And so um, this is applied not just to blacksmiths, um, but like sort of to any outgroup in a particular Ethiopian village, apparently. Interesting. These Buddha, and you'll find this interesting, from both sides of your family, also have the power of the evil eye, something <laughs> I, I still don't totally understand. The evil eye is kind of a, a curse that you put on someone. And it like just gives them bad luck, general bad luck? General bad luck. Um, I served under him in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess the intentions could differ and the mythology could differ, but yeah, it's, it's bad things happening. That's why you have to have things to ward off the evil eye. As I said, it's not just blacksmiths. Any kind of outgroup in an Ethiopian village could become, in that local, in that locality, could become the, you know, these are the people who turn into hyenas and are evil. Uh, it won't surprise you, Carrie, to know that Ethiopian Christians will sometimes apply this uh, rumor to Ethiopian Jews, because mm. truly... All conspiracy thought comes around to anti-Semitism <laughs> if you give it long enough. Even where hyenas. Even where hyenas. Um, in Asian countries, they have their own versions of man into beast legends, and usually they revolve around cats. Oh. Uh, tigers, specifically. That's the most feared predator of the like Indian and Chinese um, jungles and plains, right? So in India, you have were tigers who are uh, usually dangerous sorcerers who come out and slaughter livestock. Sort of sounds like similar origins probably to werewolf myths. Uh, now in China, were tigers were usually the victims of hereditary curses passed down from evil family members who had been cursed for, you know, m some kind of a moral failing. Mm -hmm. uh, or sometimes... They were possessed by vengeful ghosts. You see, occasionally when a tiger kills a human, the spirit of that human becomes a vengeful, like, tiger death ghost who just wants other people to die from tigers. And uh, those can occasionally possess someone and turn them into a were-tiger that, um, you know, slaughters children and stuff. So in these mythologies, can you transform at will? Or is it also related to the moon? It depends. For example, with those... Um, those Indian were-tigers, who are generally evil sorcerers, those are guys who cast a spell on themselves to transform so they can go eat livestock. By the way, if you're a powerful sorcerer, like, that's the best you can do, really? We're just going to try to figure out a way to steal some cows? Well, you can't eat cows in India, right? Or it's... 
Oh, that's true. It said livestock, so uh, it depends. Well, I was wondering, like, maybe it's it's so taboo that you have to turn into a were tiger to even <laughs> get a hamburger. Well, I think it depends where in India you are and what religion they practice there, but certainly, I would assume if if it was one of the parts of India where it was a sacred animal, I don't think they would call a cow livestock anyway. Hmm. Here in the Americas, uh, Native Americans, especially the Navajo, had their legends of skinwalkers. Uh, there's actually, there's a lot more talk about skinwalkers among white people than there is, like, knowledge of skinwalkers. It's, like, pretty protected, ancient, secret kind of stuff that, that like, genuinely white people don't seem to know. And Navajo don't seem to want to talk about. Well, it's been... <laughs> Listen, I'm on the more like paranormal weird side of TikTok, but oh, you talk of skinwalkers, especially in like the Appalachians are it's really pervading TikTok. It, it shouldn't be in the Appalachians at all because it's a Navajo thing. It's a southwestern like Utah. thing. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't think they're worried about which mythology they're uh, working with. And this is, I say it all the time, Carrie, the problem with white people. Well, it's a problem with white people. I think there's a few more. But yeah, it's been really spreading um, all across social media. I guess people are getting more into legends and urban legends and things like that. Um, you know, during lockdown and stuff, it, it, people telling stories on TikTok and, and that kind of interest spreading. But it's been really interesting to watch a bunch of white people explain skinwalkers. Well, they can't. They don't they don't get it. And neither do I. But I'm going to mansplain it anyway. I believe a skinwalker is sort of an evil witch or sorcerer who can. We're not sure transform into or possess or like send their spirit out as an animal of some kind often it's a coyote or a wolf well i don't know if they would call it a witch or a sorcerer it might be a different situation within the navajo tradition well they that's like the best way you can say it <laughs> that's the best way for a white person to understand what they mean by it because they have two different types of magic workers they have like medicine men which are good magic, all-powerful white magic healers. And then your skinwalkers, they will refer to as, like, sorcerers or witches. Mm. Um, they're just doing magic, but not the kind the medicine men do. Medicine men would never skinwalk. It's that kind of thing. Sure. So, um, anyway, obviously a little, little werewolf similarity there, because there's some kind of turning into an animal and uh, hurting people. Mm -hmm. But in Europe, they had the werewolf wolves were the scary thing around and so stories of men becoming wolves either for the horror angle of that as you know being the transformed one or um having your children uh, family or livestock attacked by some kind of a you know a cunning predator a, a human in wolf's skin is well, uh, is terrifying well especially in earlier europe when there was more dependence on farming and livestock um to have something happen to your livestock it could screw up your entire life, your entire livelihood. So, yeah, I could see just simple wolves getting into the livestock, turning into a legend about uh, nefarious people committing, you know, terrible acts uh, as a wolf. Because at the end of the day, you kind of need something to blame for something like that. Wolfman stories go back as far at least as ancient Greece. 
which is pretty far back as far as written records go. Um, Pliny the Elder, who was a Roman historian, uh, but he wrote that he had heard from a Greek guy that in Jim, Jim the Greek, Jim the Greek, that in Arcadia once a year during the sacrifices to Zeus, a man would be chosen by lots. Everybody would draw straws, you know, and somebody would be chosen to strip down, hang all of his clothes from an oak tree and then swim across uh, a special and then swim across a special marsh to be transformed into a wolf. This man would live with the wolves for nine years, and if he abstained from human flesh for the entire time, he would swim back across the bog and be turned back into a human once he put his clothes back on. So if if one, if a new person goes out every year but doesn't come back for nine years, then, the, then there must be some sort of tribe of men living with wolves in this area. About nine at a time, you would think. Huh. Weird. Uh, yeah, it's definitely weird. And, and some of them are never coming back, remember, because if, if you taste human flesh while you're a wolf, you, you can never be human again. Mm. There's often cannibal angles to early werewolf stories. There's a lot of like, and he was turned into a wolf and tempted by human flesh. And he said no, and then they turned him back. Or, and then he said yes, and they took his human body away. I think that's always been a fear, just a deep down instinctual fear. Um... I think we talked about it a little bit in the Jonestown cannibalism episode. Like that's Jamestown. I don't, there was oh, no cannibalism. God. I know of at Jonestown. Oh God. <laughs> Jamestown. Um, all the screwed up towns. <laughs> all this flavor aids making me hungry. <laughs> the Jamestown episode. Um, it's, it's this taboo that it's, it's kind of always existed. Cannibalism. Um, and like the fear of it. And, it's even at, at this point in time become a little bit racist where it's like, oh, these primitive tribes that still exist somewhere, they're going to eat your skin, you know? So it's always been a taboo and it's always been like this weird fear of people. So it definitely makes sense that it's pervaded legends. Well, and also legends were a way to tell people not to do stuff, right? Or to do the right stuff. So um, right. if you eat if you eat people's flesh, you're going to be a wolf. You're going to be a wolf and you'll never be a person again. This is how we tell you not to do that. Because giving I mean, you could just say, hey, don't don't eat people. <laughs> you that, could. That, that should work. If that doesn't work, you got bigger problems. Yeah, but like the Bible tells you you're going to go to hell if you eat pork and seafood. And that's just because the there Bible no... never mentions hell. But they do tell you not to eat pork and seafood, and that's just because... The uh, Bible says... <laughs> the Bible talks a lot of shit, okay? <laughs> yeah, but there was no safe way to store food that goes bad very quickly back then. Food that carries right. bacteria. And and mixing fabrics and things is, is a sin, you know, whatever. But a lot of it's just like, here's rules, general good rules to live by. We're going to couch it in some reason not to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Incest. We know it's bad because your kids are going to be screwed up, but the Bible says it's bad because well, God says among it. other reasons. But yes. Um. Anyhow, these legends of wolf men, men becoming wolves, men being tempted by human flesh, all of this stuff reached early Christians, of course, as they began to become the dominant group in Europe. Uh, and Augustine... St. Augustine himself, uh, in his treatise City of God, which was a very influential work at the time, um, sort of picking up 
Christians by their bootstraps, picking them up and telling them to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. And also uh, not become a man wolf. After the fall of the Holy Roman Empire, it was like, no, God's still cool, this book, City of God. So Augustine recounts Pliny's Acadia story from before, and, uh, you know, where all the guys are jumping into the river once The marsh, the nine years, yep. Uh, and he casually notes um, after that... It is very generally believed that by certain witches' spells, men may be turned into wolves. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so he told Pliny's story, and then he was like, and this is a thing. I mean, people do say this happens. Now, I just have a, a random question here, um, just because all of like the, the lusting for flesh and stuff. Yep. Vampires and vampirism, um, along with being linked to a lot of different kind of illness, like plague or tuberculosis, which I'm sure we'll discuss when we talk about vampires at a different time. At the end of this month. Yeah. <laughs> Soon, probably. Um, it's also kind of linked to like a very like sexual lust, want, like desire. I mean, Dracula is, is just a metaphor for banging. So I'm wondering... Is there some of that in werewolf mythology? Because it doesn't seem like they're as sexualized as other myths. But you would think they are because it's like, oh, they desire flesh and they turn into man beasts and all this stuff. You get more of it in modern werewolf fiction. Well, sure. <laughs> because, but, but I think that's because as a fictional like character template or whatever, as a story template, it's like, obviously, this should be a thing about resisting your inter internal urges and um you know giving away giving way to your bestial cravings like that's the horror of the werewolf right so, so it seems surprising that it wasn't always kind of linked to this sexual idea yeah throughout most of history and we'll get into this obviously uh throughout most of european history werewolves were like by choice werewolves who were witches mm. Um, the transformation by the full moon and the uncontrollable urges and that kind of thing uh, really comes more with werewolf fiction later on. Hmm. Um, but the stories of werewolves throughout Europe uh, varied through this whole time. Um, sometimes the transformation was permanent. Sometimes it was temporary or you'd go back and forth. Like transfiguration. Uh, yes. In the back and forth case, like in a Lon Chaney situation, uh, the werewolf was usually weak and debilitated after they turned back into their human forms. So that was like a telltale sign to look out for. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it was a literal transformation. Sometimes the soul was just going forth as an animal. And would never be a human again. Well, the soul would return to the body after it was done killing for the night or whatever. It's like a witch's oh, familiar. I see. Um, now, the werewolves themselves were usually described as just a wolf, usually without a tail, as familiars uh, uh, and soul sending and, and, and witchery was usually denoted by the lack of a tail in uh, middle European beliefs for huh. some reason. I don't think I've heard that before. And so this wolf would have no tail and would have unmistakably human eyes and, of course, a human voice. <laughs> I'm just imagining a peanut with people eyes and a, and a person's voice and no tail. He does have people eyes. He has beautiful, thoughtful brown eyes. Yeah, like a little baby. Like a little baby. <laughs> um, there were some telltale signs if the wolf was in human form. That you could watch out for to, uh, you know, possibly accuse your neighbors of, uh, of wolfery. Uh, werewolves, even in their human oeuvre, would often have a unibrow. 
What? Yeah, the the meeting of the eyebrows over the nose was considered a telltale sign of werewolfism or lycanthropy. Sean, I don't think people were plucking back in the day. What they do you were mean? Not. I, it's, I, I, I would probably have a unibrow if I didn't. Listen, you're a werewolf. I, and I, know I mean, this. we know this, but... I'll tell you how else I know. You're curved fingernails. Like... I think it means curving down. Yeah, I was like going to say, like, yeah, I mean, I don't have completely flat fingernails. No, no one does. Yeah, Horrifying. they all kind of curve. I, I thought that when I was reading it, too. Like, wait, they yeah, they curve around the finger. Well, yeah, I mean, if you don't cut your fingernails, that's what happens, though. Right. So. So long, ungainly, curved fingernails. So someone who's not looking great. Low set ears. Low set ears. Okay. A swinging stride. So if you oh, see someone, I thought swinging, you were going to say something else. A big swinging dick. <laughs> no, well. a, a swinging stride. So if you see someone swinging their arms around as they walk, classic werewolf. You're a werewolf. I'm not a big arm swinger, am I? I don't know. You're always swinging around. Uh, in high school, a, an upperclassman friend of mine came up to me when I was a freshman and started walking next to me, which felt cool because he was like a, a junior or a senior. Um, but he was like, I'm Sean, and I swing my arms when I walk. And then I felt self-conscious about it for years. Oh, I love how you walk. You're always so excited to be places. I couldn't imagine what that's like. <laughs> the most dramatic sign of a werewolf while in human form was fur bristling under their tongue or sometimes inside a fresh wound. So one good way to tell would be to run up and unexpectedly cut a werewolf because... They have fur on the inside? They have a little... You'll see a little bit of hair on the inside of that cut. Because oh. that's their wolf coat waiting to... Obviously, they have to put it somewhere <laughs> when they're not wearing it. Oh, yeah. Because that's how that works. That's... I love mid, Middle Ages science. Mm. Medieval science is mm. the greatest. Um, now, throughout the Middle Ages, werewolf fear built and then eventually was just widespread throughout Europe. Uh, you can see examples of this in the law codes of the, of the time. Um, Canute the Great. <laughs> oh, you laugh now. His name is spelled C-N-U-T. Charisma, nerve, uniqueness, and talent. Canute the Great, uh, had a law code called the Ecclesiastical Ordinances. He was the king of Denmark and Norway, and then he conquered England in 1017. I think I'd rather call him C-Nut. No, he called himself Canute, and he doesn't <laughs> sound like a guy who uh, was big on nicknames. Hmm. Um, but I he, can change him. But at the top of his law codes, like right in their opening statement, they said they were meant to ensure, quote, that the madly audacious werewolf do not too widely devastate nor bite too many of the spiritual flock. All like, right, Canute. It's one of the main goals was just werewolf prevention. Hmm. I love um, werewolf scholars of the of the Middle Ages, who, which was kind of a job at the time. Um, I was born at the wrong time. This is quoting from, and this is a little bit later, and this is honestly toward the end of the werewolf craze, but um, this is from The Restitution of Decayed Intelligence, which was a book of, like, magical and religious thought, like... Hey, it's 1628. You dum-dums don't know anything, but we're going to teach you all this stuff again, is what the title means. All right. I quote the restitution of decayed intelligence. The werewolves are certain sorcerers who, having anointed their bodies with an ointment which they make by the instinct of the devil, 
and putting on a certain enchanted girdle, does not only unto the view of others seem as wolves, but to their own thinking have both the shape and nature of wolves so long as they wear the said girdle. And they do dispose themselves as very wolves in worrying and killing and most of humane creatures. It's hard to be intimidated by a girdle. Uh, yes, a certain enchanted girdle. Uh, so that sort of combines to, sometimes people would say that they were transformed into wolves by rubbing a special magical ointment on their bodies, and then they would, you know, transform. Uh, sometimes you had to wear an animal skin or a, just a belt of wolf skin. Girdle. A girdle, if you will. An, a certain enchanted girdle. Um, the spelling, I love old-timey spellings, by the way. That was certain sorcerers, C-E-R-T-A-Y-N-E. Ooh, certain McCabe. Yeah, and then it was an enchanted girdle. You gotta keep that on the baby name list for later. Um, so you see, you can see there, this isn't a curse that's passed on by like a bite from a werewolf. It's not brought on by the full moon uncontrollably. These are murderous sorcerers who uh, put on a little belt and rub a little mm-hmm. little lotion on their arms. and then Just greasy belt witches. Greasy belt witches. Actually, that's a better name than werewolves. Yeah. I wish they had gone with that. It's a good folk punk band name. Caroline, would it surprise you to know that there were werewolf trials in Europe in the Middle Ages? It does ring a a slight bell, but I don't think I really know about them, no. Um, They sort of went hand in hand with and often were part of witch trials and witch hysterias um, because... I mean, the version of lycanthropy that I've laid out to you here... Again, it's less of a curse and more of like a spell you cast on yourself. So at this point... Oh, and the kind of people who would kill people in witch trials would probably kill people in werewolf trials, too. Uh, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, But certainly the werewolves we're talking about are essentially witches. Right. Um, And in fact, some some werewolves were executed at the Valais witch trials in 1428. In Switzerland, which is a very early, like this is early in the witch craze, the -hmm. witch burning craze. Um, The main surviving account of the Valais witch trials uh, comes from one guy, Johann Frund. (laughs) And he wrote his account two years into these witch trials in the year 1430. They lasted a while. They went on for years afterward, too, like two or three years after this guy wrote. At the time, in 1430, he wrote that 200 out of a, quote, conspiracy of 700 witches had been burned to death already. Um, Again, the trial's continuing for several more years after that. Hundreds of people were burned. Now, Frund reported some of those witches had been killing their neighbor's livestock in the form of wolves. Hmm. See, there are stories kind of like this in the Salem witch trials, which we will get to, where, you know... People are accused of killing livestock, but never uh, werewolves never come into it, even if familiars do. Um, f- well, in these witches' cases, Frund also reports that they knew how to make invisibility potions, and nice. also, and also, they had a special lotion that they could rub on chairs to make the chairs fly <laughs> forever. What's it with them and their lotion? Everything is a lotion. I guess. Like you can't. Like, there's no way to make something happen except rubbing a lotion on it. Rub a lotion on a chair. Yeah, and then it was a flying chair. So I love that, though. They're not in broomsticks. They're just like... It's not even a spell. There there has to be a lotion on this chair. You yeah, can't just cast an enchantment on the chair. To be fair, I think they do rub the lotion on once, and then the chair's enchanted forever. 
I feel like they rubbed the lotion on themselves and it rubbed off on the chair. But I love, I love trading in that broom for a nice comfortable swing back or like... A lazy boy. A lazy boy? Hell yeah. <laughs> Just a lazy boy covered in ointment. Throughout the period of European witch trials, when Europeans were just crazy for burning witches, um, werewolves came up pretty often, um, but in some areas more than others. And in Livonia specifically, uh, werewolf trials were actually like more prevalent than witch trials. Uh, Livonia was in, I guess it's still, people there might still call it Livonia, I'm not really sure. Livonia was a country at the time, it's modern day Latvia. Mm. This is on the east coast of the Baltic Sea. At the time, Livonia was run by a German Christian nobility, but all of the peasants were local pagans. Nobody was a Christian out in the the farms and stuff, um, and the peasants didn't care about God or Satan or witches. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't care about the Inquisition, but they had strong indigenous beliefs going back generations um, about black magic and werewolves. But of course, given that the nobility was German and Christian, uh, reports of black magic and werewolves were always interpreted by the authorities as satanic pacts and witchcraft and prosecuted in that mold. Whatever works. Yeah, and what worked in the witch trials was just torturing whoever was accused uh, and going like, you you met with Satan in the woods, didn't you? And then hot pokers, ah, yes. You know, eventually they say yes. Um so yeah, they would torture the accused until they basically said, yeah, I'm a Satan-worshipping witch. Now, what would get you to be killed as a werewolf, specifically? Your neighbor's saying that you had turned into a wolf and killed their livestock? Okay. So either way, you're screwed, but you're either screwed as a witch or as a werewolf. Well, if it was just a couple people talking about you, they would bring you in for questioning and probably beating. But the real torture they saved for if like six or more people talked about you. And of course, you know how we'll get into this heavily next week, but you know how a witch trial went in the Middle Ages. It is effectively being tortured until you just say you're a witch. Yes. Yes. Not great. There are records from these trials, uh, and we have a record of one man known to history only as Hans the Werewolf. <laughs> what? Hans the Werewolf. <laughs> Uh, just to clarify to the audience, um, we do an RPG called Vampire, and our friend, uh, Pane, he stopped by once and was thoroughly bemused and befuddled by our RPG um, role-playing game, for, for those not in the know. They've heard our Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> I episode. hope so. And so he started playing a, um, a joke character called Hans Werwolf. He was not a werewolf, he was just like a John. Yes, he was just a guy, but his last name was Werewolf. Hans Werewolf. Yes. And we decided we would bring him back as a werewolf. We, we never did. Well, we haven't played much since then. We've been doing Dungeons and Dragons more. But anyway, um, so Hans Werewolf is this, a real guy. This, this Hans the Werewolf. Oh, Hans the Werewolf. Yeah, Hans the Werewolf. Um, was tried in... Idavar in Livonia. That's my guess at this pronunciation. It's I-D-A-V-E-R-E, but in like a German kind of, I think it's Idaver. Hans Werwolf. Yeah. Uh, so Hans was brought before the court in Idaver when he was 18 years old. The accounts don't say that he was tortured, 
He was tortured. Um, but whatever happened, Hans eventually confessed that he had been hunting as a werewolf for two years. Mm. He said that he transformed with the help of a wolf skin that he had gotten from a, quote, man in black that he met in the woods. Oh. It was Johnny Cash. <laughs> or from a UFO. And under questioning, he confirmed that a wound he had on his leg had been gotten while he was hunting in wolf form. The authorities... Did the, the wound have hair in it? It did not. But the judges thought that obviously if he got wounded as a wolf, still had the cut as a man... Obviously, his body underwent an actual magical transformation, which is illegal and punishable by death. I mean, you're just trusting his testimony there. He could have just scratched his own leg. And obviously, the man in black, that was Satan. Come on. Sure. So see you later, Hans. And Hans the werewolf was uh, sentenced to death and executed by burning. Ugh. Yikes. Um, there were at least 18 similar werewolf trials in Livonia between 1527 and 1725. So that's about a 200-year period. Um, and there were lots of people being tried and burned for uh, other kinds of witchcraft. Um, but werewolves specifically, there were at least 18 trials in which 18 women and 13 men in Livonia were uh, killed. Another charming kind of offshoot of this is they believed witches could charm wolves so sometimes it wasn't uh, a werewolf sometimes it was she sent the wolves to eat my livestock so kind of a familiar thing yes and that is not counted in this 18 women and 13 this is 18 women and 13 men who were werewolves legit werewolves yeah hmm. um now pretty late in that period one of these werewolves was theus Thies of kaltenbrunn T-H-I-E-S-S. -S. Uh, Thies was hauled into court in Jürgensburg because the judges thought he might have been a witness to a church robbery. Okay. Uh, now, he wasn't. He was like, no, I didn't see anything. I was too busy being a wolf. Shit. Well, while he was there, he did just for some reason freely admit to the judges that he was a werewolf. Oh, honey. But no. he clarified that he had given it up 10 years before. I don't do that like anymore. Like cigarettes? Yeah, exactly. I quit. <laughs> what a strange person. The judges were curious, so they asked him for more. And it turned out Theus had once been a beggar until he said a, quote, rascal drank a toast to him on the street and gave him the ability to become a wolf. Uh, Theus elaborated that he can actually pass it on to other people in the same way, but he's never found anyone worthy of his gift. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Theus and a group of guys would put on wolves pelts on the holy days. You know, St. Lucia's Day, St. John's Day. St. Werewolf Day. St. Werewolf Day, Pentecost. And they would go around the countryside and just tear up some farm animals. Just eat them up. Hmm. Uh, no, well, they would kill them, sorry. And then they would roast the meat and devour it. Uh, Couldn't they just eat some meat? Well, the judges said, wait, what do you mean roast the meat? And Theus was like, oh, we're humans again at that point. Why, why didn't he just get some meat to eat? Why, why go through all the song and dance? Well, it's probably because there was another... There's something else you can do as a werewolf, Carrie. And that's fight Satan. That's right. Theus told the judges about this spot near Lemberg. And by the way, this isn't like a far off... He said, like, there's a place over the sea. And then he was like, oh, it's about a half hour outside of Lemberg, which was like... One of the judges lived there. It was very <laughs> nearby. He said there was a spot near Lemberg where werewolves could pass through a portal and enter into hell. And he was like, yeah, and then me and all my bros go and fight the devil and his witches, and we beat them with long iron rods. 
So either this guy just enjoyed spinning a yarn, or he seems like he was probably mentally ill. The judges asked why he went to hell on occasion if he hated the devil, um, and he explained that it was to ensure a bountiful harvest. See, if the wolves go down at least once a year, uh, they can bring back, you know, next year's harvest kind of ahead of time to make sure the village will have a good um, crop. Otherwise, there won't be a good crop. Um, huh. And he said as much. He goes, yeah, it's to ensure a bountiful harvest. In fact, last year, I brought back a ton of grains for the village. And they were like, hold on. You said you gave this up 10 years ago. And poor Theus was like, I lied about giving it up. <laughs> what a strange guy. It's a strange story. So then the judges ask if he is a good Lutheran. Okay. Does he go to church? Does he pray regularly? Does he take the sacraments? And Theus responds that he does none of these things. He's too old to understand this new religion. Okay. Um, and weirdly, in the middle of the Inquisition, all of that stuff is fine. They're like, oh, this guy's just a harmless old kook. Um, but in the judge's investigation, it turned out that uh, Theus was also a folk healer in his village. He would, like, make people little poultices and stuff. Mm. And that's fine, too, except some of his blessings didn't, like, specifically mention God. Yeah, okay. So, um, you know, but this guy's harmless. We'll just flog him and banish him for life. And that's what they did. I mean, better than being burned alive. I guess, but Theus doesn't seem like he's got a full basket he's working with. Uh, I don't know. Listen, if... they weren't really woke about mental illness in the day, Sean. I, I know. I just don't know if he fared that well after they banished him. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Now, obviously, stories abounded in the Middle Ages of real life werewolves and uh, stories have abounded ever since. Um, and we're going to take a look at a couple of those stories, including some uh, from old-timey Europe, but also some from modern-day America. Real-life mm. encounters with real-life werewolf... Real-life encounters with real-life wolfmen. Right here on Ain't It Scary, after the break. Ow, ow, ow! I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Want to treat your pup to something special? When you visit www.barkbox.com slash scary, you can receive a free month added to your plan when you sign up for a 6- or 12-month subscription. That's an extra month of two fun toys, two full-size bags of treats, and a tasty chew at no additional cost. Recent box themes have included Home Alone, Liquor Treat, and A Night at the Squeakeasy. Poe loves trying out new toys and treats, and he was psyched to get a bark box. Your pup will be too. So sign up at www.barkbox.com slash scary for a free month added to any six or 12 month subscription. That's barkbox.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y. Give your furry friends something to bark about. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back. Caroline, in the first half of this show, we covered uh, werewolf folklore and kind of origin stories and also the, the history of werewolf trials mixed in with, um, you know, the very famous witch trials that we'll explore a little bit uh, further next week. Mm-hmm. But all of that is just stage setting, Caroline, for the very real encounters that you might have with a wolfman around any corner and on any day. Ooh, titillating. Very titillating. And so... I'm going to share with you some stories of real werewolves, old and new. Often, European werewolf stories of the medieval renaissance period sprang up around, you uh, referenced this earlier, either real attacks by real animals or real attacks by human monsters, just not the kind that actually turns into a wolf, one assumes. (laughs) Well... And such is the, so is that, are we getting a spoiler alert on what you think about werewolves? Such is the case with the werewolf of Dole, at least. No comment on werewolves in general. But in 1572, in Dole, France, Duh. several children had gone missing in that summer uh, or had been found dead and torn to shreds by the sides of country roads. Mm, very it. Very it. Um, in addition... Witnesses had reported a snarling, man-like shape seen running from at least one of the scenes. Leading provincial authorities, remember this is 1572, provincial authorities, so basically like the state government, um, issued an official edict encouraging apprehension and killing of the werewolf that was clearly (laughs) responsible for these crimes. So they just jumped right over a psychotic, hairy man straight to werewolf. First thought, best thought. Definitely a werewolf. Okay. I don't need to tell you that a panic ensued. Yeah. And roving bands of men were leaving the village every night, literally with torches and pitchforks, um, to go and hunt down the werewolf. It was not one of these bands of searchers, but just a group of workmen walking home one night who came across what appeared to be a wolf in the dim light with the body of a child. As they got closer, they recognized this figure was not a wolf, but a man. Mm Mm-hmm. And some of them recognized local hermit, Gilles Garnier. Gilles. Gilles was um, arrested shortly thereafter, like the next day. And he confessed at his um, apparently pretty normal trial. The Inquisition didn't take this one over. This was a civil, not a civil, it was a um, like legal court trial, not a uh, we torture you till you say you did it. Was he accused of being a werewolf on trial, or was he accused of just being a serial killer? He was accused of being a serial killer, and the superstition around town was that he had done these crimes as a wolf. But not legally. Right. If he had been accused of witchcraft, he would have been tried by the Inquisition. Okay. Now, Garnier, as I said, was a reclusive hermit, but he was recently married. I don't know how you get married as a hermit. I managed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Garnier was apparently finding it hard to feed two. He was used to only feeding one, and that was apparently causing some strife at home, as this hunter was, uh, failing to bring home enough meat to feed both members of the family. Hmm. Garnier said on the stand that one night he was hunting when he met a ghostly figure who offered to ease his troubles with a special ointment. Oh, God. This is like bath and body work's gone wrong. I think this is what Deshaun Watson got in trouble for. 
Following this, Garnier stalked and murdered at least four children, four that he admitted to, between the ages of nine and twelve. Was he told that the ointment was going to make him a werewolf? Yes. Oh, uh, when he rubbed the lotion on the skin, yes, it turned him into a wolf. Well, at least he didn't get the hose again. And so in one... <laughs> and so... She a great big fat person. Ugh. And so in October of 1572, he went out hunting again. This time, he said, in wolf form. And when he found a 10-year-old girl lingering outside of town, he dragged her to a nearby vineyard, strangled her, stripped off her clothes, and ate some of the meat from her thighs and the arms. But didn't bring any meat home? He apparently found it so good that he cut some meat away from the body and brought it home to his wife. Yeah, because I mean, I figured that was the main issue at hand, was that he wasn't feeding the wife. He wasn't killing two squirrels a day or whatever. Gotta feed the wife. So, uh, hey, this girl's got plenty of meat on her. He brings leftovers home. (laughs) Oh, honey, what is this? It's so unusual. Now, serial killers, and technically, if he did these crimes, we would call Gil Garnier a serial killer, certainly. Mm Mm-hmm usually have some kind of a ramp-up period. Um, But just a few weeks after that first one, Garnier attacked another girl, biting and clawing at her, Um, but he was interrupted by passers-by and fled. That girl did die of her injuries a few days later, though. I guess he was hangry. He didn't get to to eat anything at this one. Um, But it wasn't until the next month, in November 15 of 72, November of 1572, that he killed a 10-year-old boy. This was the most gruesome of Garnier's murders, as he devoured most of the boy's thighs and belly, tore off a whole leg to bring home and save for later, and the eating of the midsection proceeded in such a way that this boy was apparently literally torn in half. Now, his wife had no questions about the the child's leg he brought home or or any of the loose meat. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Listen, the first time when he brings home the loose meat, he's like, I killed a boar. Here's some extra boar meat, right? Sure, I guess. But But, like, a leg is a leg. It's hard to explain. That's clearly a child's leg. Still has a little shoe on it. And the wife was arrested after Garnier was arrested. Probably Um, for the best. Yeah, so I think she was, I think she was complicit in this. If she saw the leg, yes. At that point, you're complicit. And she didn't stop him because um, early the following year, early in 1573, he was busy strangling another boy when he was interrupted again by some passersby. And that was the workman who um, we referenced earlier. And that's when the arrest came for Gil Garnier. He didn't get to eat that last boy either because um, he was interrupted. Hmm. Um, needless to say, he was executed for both murder and lycanthropy, because that was a crime in France at this time. Shouldn't have mentioned the ointment. Yeah, it's true. Another historical werewolf was the Wolf of Ansbach of 1685. Um, this is, it was the Holy Roman Empire then, but Ansbach is in Germany now. And people were, were reporting... People began to report, um, as these things often start, livestock disappearing. Mm-hmm. There were a few sightings of a wolf killing sheep and cows in the area, uh, costing farmers quite a bit of money. And then local children started disappearing or being turning up, you know, torn to shreds. Giant man-eating wolf. Oh, looks like we've got another werewolf problem here. And people knew just where to lay their blame. You see... 
the cruel burgermeister of Ansbach had recently died. The, the what? Oh, at this time, a, a burgermeister is like a, he's like the duke of this. He's, he's in charge of the city. It's like a civil office. I don't know. That just screams Hamburglar to me. No, he's like a really powerful mayor. I don't know. With the with the dinner you made us earlier, I call you a burgermeister. Hey, thank you. Special <laughs> sauce. I make a special sauce with the ketchup and the ketchup and the mayo and the mustard. The townspeople believed that the cruel burgermeister had come back as a werewolf for revenge. Um, because after he had died, there was his funeral was basically a party. Like, everyone literally was openly celebrating in the streets because the guy was so hated. Mm -hmm. And so they thought, like, oh, he's mad at us! He's mad at us for partying! And so, uh, once again, just like in the Gilles Garnier case, an unorganized mob took to the woods with pitches and uh, torches and pitchforks. Real uh, Gaston kill the beast situation. Mm -hmm. And in this case, they very quickly drove the werewolf out of the woods with dogs. Or just a wolf out of the woods. Well, it's a werewolf. They've, they've decided it's a werewolf. Okay. Um, they chased the werewolf to a nearby well. It dove in for safety and then obviously was trapped. And then it was poked with many, many pointy things until it died at the bottom of the well. Mm. Uh, strangely, the wolf didn't turn back into its man form at this point. It's almost like it was a wolf. And the people were surprised by that, but they didn't let it bother them too much. And this is the best part of the story. They lifted the wolf out of the well put a beard and a wig on it, dressed it like the dead Burgermeister, paraded it through the city, and then hung it from like a noose in the middle of town. These people are weird. I would haunt them too. No, this was, you know, they, they finally got one over on the old Burgermeister. You're not going to haunt us, Mr. Werewolf. <sighs> I love this story. This is a true triumph. <laughs> They're weird. These people are strange. Um, now, 1685 is... They might have been viewed as weird by their countrymen. Um, by like 1650, at least one European encyclopedia entry on lycanthropy attributed reports of werewolves to, quote, disorders of the brain. <laughs> um, so this wasn't being taken all that seriously by this point, even though like people were still fully burning witches. Yeah. Um, however, people have always loved werewolf fiction, and in fact, a lot of the elements that you and I associate with werewolves weren't kind of brought into canon until later, until it was fully an accepted fictional thing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, the silver weakness. I haven't said anything about silver this whole time, mm -hmm. because weakness to silver or the ability of silver to hurt werewolves or even any connection to silver doesn't seem to appear until German folk stories of, like, the 1700s. Well, yeah, because if you're a fiction writer, you have to have some way to defeat them. Right. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you need a little hope for the audience. Mm -hmm. um, now, the first real werewolf movie was uh, The Werewolf of London. Mm -hmm. But it was Lon Chaney Jr.'s The Wolfman and its sequels that set a lot of the pop culture stuff in stone. Um, Lon, Chaney's Lon Chaney Jr.'s werewolf is uh, only able to be injured by silver things. I think in the first one, he's beaten to death with his own cane, which has a silver, like, wolf's head. Ah, uh, uh, hubris. Um, the transformation by the full moon comes from those movies, um, and... That's the that's the earliest that comes in? It's the first time it appears in a film. I couldn't find references to um, 
Like there's no even fiction of, of involving a full moon before then? Listeners, get at me. If there is, uh, I would love to hear about it. I know this is the first time that uh, a, a movie showed it. That's wild. And for that movie... Well, wait. There also wasn't really a whole lot of werewolf like there wasn't a dracula of werewolves the wolfman isn't based on anything it's just a original screenplay yeah i don't know that's weird and i know with werewolf of london they had to make up a lot of their werewolf mythology whole cloth based on like balkan legends about wolf spain And that movie, I mean, that was just that was just there for the taking. Wolfsbane, perfect. And that movie does not feature the full moon uh, transformation. Hmm. Hmm. Of course, more recently, uh, werewolves more often play second fiddle to vampires. They're sexier human monster cousins. Well, that's an opinion. And you, but you see that in Underworld, in True Blood, in Twilight. There's not really any werewolf movies now. You just have vampire movies that werewolves like make an appearance in as antagonists or as like bikers. Or your local Native American tribe in a very <laughs> problematic situation in Twilight. Oh, um, could be. Yeah, they did the Wolfman remake in what, 2010 or something? But that was probably the last, the last real uh, werewolf feature. I mean, there was American Werewolf in London. Yes. What about it? And the Howling. That was like 80s werewolf stuff. But yeah, there's not really been any modern werewolf joints. And I think it's really... We'll talk about it at the end. I think the werewolf is really good and there should be more werewolf fiction. Um, but let's talk about some modern American encounters. Because in where in America, the werewolf story has uh, taken a lot of different forms. It kind of gets localized by different... We're really... We're not just a melting pot. We're a bunch of different regional cultures in america so you get regionalized versions of the wolfman in the deep south and specifically in uh the new orleans area you have the rougarou mm-hmm. he's sweet he's uh rumored to eat naughty children who don't go to church naughty naughty um the rougarou the when you read rougarou legends the catholic influence is uh strong and obvious um some say that you become a rougarou by skipping lent nine times in a row Sorry to tell you, Sean, I am a Rougarou. Oh, no! Oh, no! <laughs> um, other stories just... In other stories, the Rougarou is more of a voodoo witch thing. Either they can curse people into Rougarous or they can turn into wolves themselves. And at that point, we're just getting back to the European uh, witch legends, really. Mm-hmm. Now, out in the Midwest, there's something a little different. You see, they don't have a wolf man, but rather a Michigan dog man. Oh, huh? Yeah. What kind of dog? Uh, unknown, because no one's ever gotten a close enough look at him. Oh, I could. But the Michigan Dog Man is a seven foot tall. Oh, that's big. Bipedal dog with a, with the torso of a man. I don't know what that means. I think because like wolves don't really have shoulders. So if something has broad shoulders, that's not yes. a, a wolf. That's a man. Yes. And uh, it Dogs has a, don't have abs. And it has a horrifying howl, like a human scream. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Terrifying. Uh, now, this creature is said to appear on a 10-year cycle, only arriving in years ending in seven. Okay. As an example, in 1937, in Paris, Michigan, Robert Fortney was attacked by five wild dogs. He said one of them was running upright on both legs. <laughs> 
Uh, there were similar reports from both Manistee and Cross Village in 1967, and sightings reported throughout Michigan um, on a more continuous basis since the mid to late 80s. So not every seven or every 10 years, every year ending in seven. No, you do get more reports on the sevens. <laughs> Um, Reports on the sevens. Yep. Thank you very much. Uh, and now we go to Carrie for weather. <laughs> you see, in 1987, a radio DJ named Steve Cook for WTCM in Traverse City, Michigan, uh, created a novelty song called The Legend. He didn't say when he played it that he had written or recorded the song. He uh, claimed it was by Bob Farley. <laughs> and this was his idea of an April Fool's joke. I love a novelty song. Let's listen to this rip-roaring. We know you do. And actually, let's uh, uh, give a plug here. Check out our Patreon this week for the inaugural episode of Ain't It Kitschy, where my wife gushes over novelty songs. Uh, and this week, I think we're <laughs> novelty starting... Novelty Halloween. We're starting with... Well, but this episode's about novelty Halloween. But we'll we'll yes. get into the purple people eater and all that stuff. Sure. But this episode is going to be a tribute to the Monster Mash. Fantastic. It's a bop. It's still a bop. It's a graveyard smash. Now, Steve Cook, um, or sorry, Bob Farley, um, released this novelty hit in 1987. And I don't think I have to tell you, once you listen to this, it'll be obvious. But uh, this became the number one requested song at the radio station over the next few weeks. 11 lumberjacks near the Garland Swamp found an animal they thought was a dog. Uh. In a playful mood, they chased it around till it ran inside a hollow log. A logger named Johnson grabbed him a stick and poked around inside. Then the thing let out an unearthly scream and came out and stood upright. This yeah. shit is a vibe. It that is. sounds like the the auto metronome on like a an electric piano. Uh, oh, for sure. Oh, <laughs> no, he, he did record it with like a like a Casio like loop. Yeah. There are two other versions of the story. I'm not of the song. I'm not going to play them for you. But he, in true form, uh, releases a new one every decade on the sevens. <laughs> That's very fun. Or at least he was. I don't think he did a 2017 version. But there is 19 the legend 1987, 1997, and 2007. Sean, uh, for our wedding reception, can we can we dance to that as our first dance? Just so slow. Oh God, I'm so glad I can. I'm so glad it can be told now. I already let the DJ know. <laughs> Um, but which version is the question? Oh, the, the 2007 is the best one. It has like a mandolin in it. It's got like <laughs> real instruments, but this is the funniest one. After the April Fool song was put out. Now, by the way, Steve Cook says he had no idea there were actual native stories about a Michigan dog man uh, going back hundreds of years. Um, but after he played the April Fool's song, not only did it become the most requested song at the station, but hundreds of people called Cook and the radio station with sincere reports of having seen Dogmen. And he's sort yeah, of... Yeah, like my ex. And he's sort of become the Dogman guy ever since. Like, Dogman man? This is man? Steve Cook's bread and butter. Kibbles and bits. Yeah. Um, apparently people won't stop bothering a, a, a this him about this. In uh, 2007... A video called The Gable Film surfaced on the internet and went viral. It was uploaded by, you guessed it, Steve Cook. Um, Steve says a couple had bought like a, just a random box of shit at a tag sale years before. 
Uh, and one of the things was a Super 8 film canister. When they finally when they finally got a projector and popped it in, what they saw was a film reel that appears to be um, some people enjoying some kind of a road trip. Is this a stag film? It is not, but it is. Uh, it's silent and grainy. So at first you go like, "Where is this going?" <laughs> um, no, these people are just kind of on a road trip. They're hanging out. They're driving. Then they're stopped and hanging out in the you know just hanging out by the side of the road. Then they're driving again. Um, the camera spots something running on all fours by the side of the road and looking really weird, like a big dark shape. And again, it's very grainy video. It's like a Super Eight camera. It then very suddenly, like the camera obviously turns around and goes like, oh, what was that? And then it very suddenly cuts to now a stationary shot. The person holding the camera is standing in the woods, much closer to the thing, and apparently trying to sneak up. Uh, and then the thing suddenly turns around. We realize that it is watching the camera, and then it bursts forward, charges the camera, and as we get a shot of what appears to be teeth, uh, the video goes to black. So was this like a fake kind of Blair Witch Project thing? Well, that was the subject of debate on the internet for um, years after this came out. Okay. Uh, to me, that kind of just looks like a guy in a pelt suit. Well, this was the subject of intense debate on the internet for years. Mm -hmm. uh, the hottest of goss and the hottest of like, I think I can see this. I think the guy's wearing this. I, people don't move like that. People can't move that fast on all fours. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff. I don't know. You, you don't really see him moving that much on all fours. It's like it's, a couple of quote unquote steps and then he moves the camera and then it's back and then it's teeth. No, it's true. And when you would ask Steve Cook questions like that, he was always very cagey about this video. He would go like, well, I don't want to come down on either side. I just want to honestly present the evidence and let the chips fall where they may. You know, I don't want to, um, I don't have an opinion on this. I'm just presenting what I received. Mm -hmm. And then um, on the season four finale of Monster Quest in 2010, uh, Cook and filmmaker Micah Grusa showed the producers exactly how they hoaxed the video. Um, because, of course, it's fake. Uh, it, Agrusa was just wearing a ghillie suit. It's not even like a dog costume. It's like a, do you know what a ghillie suit is? Mm -hmm. But why don't you explain it? It is a, um, it's a big bushy suit that looks like a bush or a bunch of, a bunch of grass. And it's like, meant to be camouflaging for hunting and things like that. War. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hunters or snipers will dress as a bush basically. And that's called a, a ghillie suit. Um, so yeah, that seems to bring an end to the. Um, known encounters with the Michigan Dogman, although locals will still tell you that they saw it. And finally, we'll end on the Beast of Bray Road, also known as the Wisconsin Werewolf. <laughs> and I get this guy from the from the book Real Wolf Men: True Encounters in Modern America by Linda Godfrey. Um, Linda seems to be one of the foremost werewolf uh, researchers in the country. Um, she has another book simply called the beast of bray road so if this is interesting to you i'm sure that there's more detail there i think there's also a movie there is that sounds familiar there yeah. has been a feature film mm -hmm. uh, bray road is about two miles of country lane off of state highway 11 in wisconsin it's just an hour drive from both madison and milwaukee two of the biggest cities in wisconsin it's a two-hour drive from chicago it's in the country but it's not like in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm 
It's a road lined with family farms, cornfields, livestock grazing. The Kettle Moraine State Forest is about 15 miles away where you can go on horse rides and go camping. Um, that's apparently also a big hotspot for Bigfoot hunters, by the way. Um, Linda Godfrey says she's heard 12 different accounts of Bigfoot sightings in this area, in addition to all the Wolfman sightings. All right. Um, let's see. In 1981, an artist named Marvin Kirschnick was uh, driving down State Highway 11 near Bray Road on a sunny afternoon when he saw something standing on two legs behind a fallen tree. So he pulled over to the side of the road, slid over to his passenger seat, rolled down the window. He really had to get a close look at this thing, I guess. And he saw a creature about six feet tall with a dog-like face and an oddly, he said, humanoid body that was just standing there, resting its front paws on a tree stump and watching him. Kirschnick watched it for a few minutes, then took off. He sketched it later. <laughs> And sculpted it for years, almost like in an H.P. Lovecraft story or something, like his dreams were haunted by this thing, and he kept every sculpture he made was this werewolf again. Fascinating. Um, but he didn't tell anyone except his wife about it until he did an interview with, you guessed it, the TV series Monster Quest in 2008. So he's just making wolf sculptures for years and years and, and years. And nobody knows why. He's just, everything's a wolf, man. <laughs> that's, that's honestly more disturbing oh than my God. Thank God, Marvin. I thought you were just horny for werewolves. <laughs> uh, a factory worker named Diane Koenig saw the beast in 1986. She was headed home to nearby Elkhorn at night and took a spur-of-the-moment shortcut through Bray Road. When her headlights hit a large animal that was stooped, but standing on two feet by the side of the road. She said it was man-shaped, big broad shoulders, but had the head of a wolf, and it was dragging a deer by its paws. Yikes. The front legs of the deer were crisscrossed over the wolf's chest as he dragged it along the ground. Then he froze in the headlights and watched her menacingly as she drove past. Uh, Koenig later said that it was like, it was, quote, like he was saying, keep driving, lady. <laughs> wow. She said it was much too large to be a coyote or a wolf since it was dragging a deer, like, pretty much off the ground, apparently. The sightings continued throughout the late 80s and early 90s. Um, your typical stuff, large tracks running across farmland, like wolf-shaped, but the size of, like, a boot. Um, sightings of un unusually large wolves, usually on all fours, but still. Um, once a girl was trapped up in a tree for over an hour on her farm by a jumping wolf that she said ran on two feet. That's terrifying. It is. <laughs> um, in 1990, a farmer named Mike Etten saw a dark haired animal bigger than a wolf sitting, quote, like a raccoon sits. You know, they kind of squat like a raccoon's feet. They kind, of, they kind of just sit like a person sits. Well, right? their feet are flat on the ground, though. So it's like they're like... It's like a squat, almost right. a deep squat. Uh -huh. So this thing was crouched down uh, in its squatting position. It was about three and a half feet tall. He said it had something bloody clutched in its paws. And he slammed on the brakes, but the creature was gone before the car even came to a full stop. Um, He's shy. Now, yeah. Now, Mike Etten says he didn't even realize other people had been reporting something like this until later. He also admits he did have a few drinks that night. Hmm. Um, now there weren't any real sightings, but by that I mean things that Linda Godfrey considers credible. I mean, if Linda doesn't consider it credible, I'm out, right? 
Um, but Bray Road, uh, so there between ninety four and two thousand four, there weren't really any sighting sightings. But Bray Road did become a hot spot over that time for people looking for monsters as the other stories um, became popularized. Mm-hmm. So in Halloween two thousand four, a forty five year old nurse was driving with her teenage daughter and a friend. They were looking for ooky spooks. Sure. It was Halloween night, and they wanted to see a werewolf. Yeah. And they got what they wanted as a seven-foot-tall canine stepped out of the cornfields just ten feet away. Oof. Talk about ooky spook. He was crouched as if ready to pounce and reaching forward. Um, and the girls and their mom peeled out so fast they didn't even have time to take a picture, even though they said they had, like, they'd brought a bunch of cameras. <laughs> they had their cell phones and, and cameras with them and video cameras, and they forgot all of it and just peeled out. Mm-hmm. Now, it was Halloween, so this could have just been a guy in a costume, of course, um, but the nurse did say that this figure had legs that were skinny and canine, not like human legs, um, and its eyes were glittering and dark. Now, at night, everybody's eyes are dark, but, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Just a few more encounters with the Bray Road monster in December 2007. He hadn't been seen in years, but cats in an Elkhorn mobile home park started to go missing. One resident said he saw a tall, dark animal on two legs crossing Geneva Street in the direction of Bray Road with bent backward legs, like its knees bent the other direction. He tried to follow in his truck, but the creature disappeared before he got to Bray Road, so he was just driving back and forth. And then he spotted it again, walking through thigh-high grass toward the woods. He said the creature was seven to eight feet tall. Definitely had fur, not wearing clothing. And uh, he said it was hunched over and kind of lunging forward as it walked, which is consistent with the other accounts that we have. And these can't just be like mangy bears, maybe? I have thought about that for sure. Um, There was also an Elkhorn couple in 2008 who saw a five foot tall figure, maybe, with flowing fur all over its body. Uh, they saw it run across the road in front of them and parkour the guardrail. Like, jump over, but not just jump over. Like, he used his hand to support his jump. Mm-hmm. Which isn't a thing that wolves do. Hmm. Um, that is all of the sightings of the Bray Road monster. What do you think? About the Bray Road monster? About werewolves in general? The Bray Road monster, but I think it can factor into our overall discussion here. I don't know. I always am very intrigued by things like a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch or a weird kind of missing link-esque monster. Of course. Um, I'm undecided about that sort of thing. When it comes to werewolves, I don't know. Knowing that the mythology is mostly about like people turning themselves into werewolves with magic. I mean, that's just not really something that exists. (laughs) Well, my understanding of magic, which is more of like, you know, natural witchcraft and things like that. That's just not how it works. Uh, You've never thrown a lotion and a girdle on and turned into a a, a creature of the night. Yeah, but not a werewolf. (laughs) Um, yeah, and then and knowing that it's actually very surprising to me that the the silver bullet sort of thing and the full moon turning into a werewolf thing that's not it's not that old fashioned. It's pretty modern. Um, that's pretty shocking, and I think that makes it somehow 
even less likely to me. I don't know if it's just like witches turning you into wolves. I don't know. Well, because you're already coming... I never really believed in werewolves. I believed in people that might think they are. Uh, you know, that kind of delusion. Right. But, um, that is... Hmm. That is an actual thing. Yeah, and, and it's funny. Certainly, madness has always been associated with the moon. Yes. So that could be where that association got folded in eventually. You know, yeah, maybe. It's where lunacy comes from and all that. Mm-hmm. So I've never, I've never been a believer in werewolves specifically, um, but I don't know, some sort of weird creature that we don't really understand or some weird hybrid animal that we're, we have no clue how it exists. I think that's possible. Well, there's, so is really, it a wolf? I don't know, but maybe it's part wolf. There's some really interesting things that I'm going to mention here. Cause I think there's lots of things. Yes. You've raised already some good points. Um, if you've ever seen a picture of a bear without hair, weird, they're weird horrible. Looking. They're horrible looking. And um, so I, I think a malnourished bear uh, could. Because that look just like... looks like skin, but like too much skin. Yes. Um, and more on bears in a second. Firstly, though, when, say, there are large wolf tracks that people are like, oh, look, there's only two feet here, not four. That's interesting. Um Wolves actually walk by putting one foot in the track left by their other paw. Why? I don't know. Why it's, are they so shady? It's just instinct, but it makes the tracks look as if they've come from half the number of feet. That's so weird. It's a weird thing to do. It is. And I'm sure they don't decide to do it. It's just a thing that they do. And I don't think dogs do that. It might be more efficient in snow. Yeah, if you're if you're just you're stepping yeah, in uh, your own footprint. That's so weird. It's a weird thing to do. Now, let me tell you something else about wolves. In shows of dominance, um, wolves obviously super pack hierarchical dominance-based society. and all that, yeah. Uh, they will raise their hackles. You see Poe do that. They will... <laughs> yeah, our little wolf. They will growl. They will uh, raise their ears. And a dominant male, if he really, you know, if in, in a real show to scare off the younger, weaker males, will raise up on his hind legs, not just rear back, but stand that way for a short time. <laughs> yeah, I could see that working. It clearly freaks people out. Right. But so <laughs> there's precedent for this. You know what I mean? Wolves will occasionally can support themselves that way briefly and will do that. Just standing there lurking. But the thing is, I guess, is that usually a wolf will do that for the benefit of the pack or a beta male or something. But these wolves are just kind of doing that solo. But often Linda Godfrey points out in her book, often it is males who see that. I don't know. Oh, I don't know so if a male she, wolf recognizes a male person. Oh, or not, so she's but. saying that they might be trying to show that they're an alpha to another person. These are territorial animals. They might have decided this is part of their territory. Get out of here. Fascinating. I mean, I'd be very, just because of how he's structured, I'd be very intimidated by Poe standing on his hind legs and just running at me. Yeah, but that's but, mo that's more because he's like a little little slender man. <laughs> if you kicked him, he'd be done. He's so long and such short legs that that would just look so freakish. It also makes me think of Petals the bear. Uh, Petals was an American. Is this a friend of yours? Petals was an American black bear uh, who became an internet sensation in 2016. Um, he was a New Jersey bear who was walking around on his hind legs. 
in fact, always walked around on his hind legs because his front paws were injured. Bears normally walk on all fours, just like dogs and wolves. Um, but he had injured front paws, so he had to walk around on, on two Aww. feet like like a person. And it looked really funny, which is why... He thinks he's people. Yeah, and so it, it's a creepy video if you just see a bear walking like a person. You don't know why. <laughs> um, but it's also really funny. So a lot of people took videos of pedals, and he became a viral sensation. And 30,000 people across the state of New Jersey signed a petition to move pedals into a wildlife preserve. But before that, position, before that petition could be acted on... Pedals was killed in the first sanctioned bow hunt in four decades in New Jersey. Why would you tell me that sad part? Does it make you feel better that state senators tried to pass Pedals law afterward, which would have banned bear hunts for five years in the state? It would have made me feel better if they actually were able to pass it. I don't think they did. <laughs> oh, Pedals. My point is, though, that's an animal that walks around on its uh, two legs when it shouldn't. True. So I think just over time, people seeing a couple of wolves walking upright, which they're not supposed to do, and it's weird to see that. That's very rare. But yeah, I think people have seen that. I think, uh, as we saw with uh, Gil Garnier and the Wolf of Ansbach, um, I think a lot of times real serial killers or normal wolves have been mistaken for werewolves. Or mentally ill people mistake themselves for werewolves. Certainly that. I'm sure there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that could have been what was going on with Gil Garnier. It was too long ago, and I'm sure he was tortured to get that confession. So it's all tough. But. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but that is the werewolf. Uh, to me, we could do better with werewolf fiction. It is... So the, write a werewolf novel, Sean. It's the perfect vehicle for a man struggling with his internal demons. Like, they, if that's the symbolic story you want to tell, why wouldn't you do it with a werewolf? Sure. And I mean... It's, I think it would be pretty relevant to today, considering usually werewolves are more associated with working class people, people of the land, farmers and such. And um, vampires are usually these kind of aristocratic, wealthy, you know, figures. I think it's very interesting how we've kind of glamorized the vampire uh, which, I mean, the most famous one's a count. He's a fancy boy. But the most famous werewolf was like, he worked at like a carnival or something, didn't he? Or he went to a carnival or... Larry Talbot, I think he's actually wealthy. I don't know. He, he definitely comes from like a long family line. Right. But I think... Uh, he has a silver cane <laughs> that he gets beaten to death with. Werewolves are more associated with normal kind of people. Um so I think it's it's ripe for that sort of class struggle dynamic in fiction nowadays, considering we're reexamining class uh, more and more every day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, that's one other difference, by the way. I didn't explicitly say this, but it probably became clear. These Those historical, like, legend werewolves, none of them were anthropomorphic. Mm -hmm. So that's also just a creation of the fiction for the most part and, and the films is the idea of a werewolf who actually like, you know, is half man shaped or whatever. Yeah. In like they're the, just they tr fully turn into wolves. Yeah. They didn't have the technology to do that with makeup to Lon Chaney. Um, the, the, the guy in Werewolf of London like refused to even do he like kept his smoking jacket. He wore like a like a jacket and stuff yes. as the werewolf because he didn't want to spend hours in a makeup chair. <laughs> Um, but obviously as technology has gotten better, now you see more of like a wolf face, uh, on a, a human body. Uh, but that's never what the legends were. It was just a wolf without a tail. 
Yeah. And if you want some more uh, good werewolf fiction, you have American Werewolf in London. That's a good movie. And uh, Ginger Snaps is one of my favorite underrated horror movies in general. But it's a great werewolf movie because it uses it uses a werewolf how it's supposed to be used as a metaphor. And it's a metaphor for the female body changing in puberty and what that does to you. Um, so for, I definitely recommend that for the Halloween season. Ginger and, Snaps. And along similar lines, I recommend the Swamp Saga of the Swamp Thing issue by Alan Moore, where uh, there's a lady werewolf who's on her period. And there it is. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events... On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Okay, guys, something new this week. Normally, I know you were ready for my beautiful wife to come in and announce a news segment of some kind. Uh, we're doing something different for the month of October. Yes, this is a continuation of our Halloween horror segment, but instead of news, we have reviews. This week, Sean and I watched the original film, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yes! And we'll be sharing our thoughts about that with you. Yeah, Carrie, you're a huge Elvira fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess first, tell me that. Give me your thoughts on Elvira. Give the listeners your thoughts on Elvira. I've already heard them extensively. <laughs> well, for those who may not know, Elvira... Um, started out as this character that would host a public access TV show um, where she would introduce horror movies, usually bad B movies. And she, she looks like a, a take on a more Tisha Adams, but with a big bouffant and a big rack rack, Say that. <laughs> a big chest. And, um, and what's fun about her is she's always cracking jokes. And instead of that sort of vampira or uh, vampira character, that's very like Gothic and dramatic. She's always like cracking wise. And she talks like a Valley girl and I've always adored her. Um, as a kid, I thought she was so pretty. I wanted to be her. Yeah. What were your three, like, 
hallmarks of female beauty as a child? Um, it was Elvira. It was, I mean, aside from my mother, she is beautiful. It was Elvira. It was um, the Bride of Frankenstein. I thought she was so beautiful. And the Lady Mummy from Under Wraps, when she is unveiled and she has that gorgeous um, eye makeup and everything, I thought she was just to die for. Now, you only see her eyes and lips, right? Because she's covered in bandages? Well, she's supposed to look, I think, like a Cleopatra type. Um, but yes, you only see that. And I just thought she was so pretty. Um, and and those were my, my big three of female beauty growing up. And number four is Lawrence Janet. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, let's let's tackle that first. El, El, <laughs> let's tackle all of your weird. <laughs> no, let's tackle that first. Elvira's hot in this movie. She's hot all the time. She's still hot. She's 70 years old. Um, she just came out with her memoir. Uh, and so she you've probably seen her in the news. She also came out as, I think, bisexual. She actually hid the fact that she had been with a woman for the last 20 years because her fan base is so male. She probably thought it would hurt her image, but now things are a little more open. Oh, like a Rock Hudson. Yes. Where it's not like, oh, I think they'll hate me for being gay. No. It's, I need them to be attracted to me. I think that was kind of it. But now, you know, it's a different time and everyone's been very supportive. Um, and then she was also hosting some specials on Shudder. And I think she's going to do something for Netflix because it's the 40th anniversary of her kind of starting this character, which is wild. Uh, it is. And, and then the plot of... Um... Yeah, so this this movie came out in 80, 88 or 89. After her show was off, right? She wasn't presenting movies on television actively at this time? Well, she she had kind of become famous as, as people did with like Mystery Science Theater or with the Ernest character. They all started at, as these local characters that sort of gained fame. And that's what happened to her. All the way to Hollywood. Exactly. And so the plot of this movie, I would describe as Lovecraft Country. <laughs> it's it's literally the plot of Lovecraft Country thrown in a blender with the plot of Footloose. Yeah, it's your classic. Um, she inherits a house in a small town from a great aunt that she doesn't know about. And she comes to the town and everyone's a square and she's Elvira and she has to turn things upside down. And she's also trying to... Um, get money for her Las Vegas show, which is seems to be some sort of burlesque situation. Yes, because at the end we see her spin some tassels. Yes. Um, why do you think they didn't put this town in the Midwest or the South? Thinking about it today, I was like, it's weird that it's in Massachusetts, especially I since that lady from Ferris Bueller is in it and she talks like this. Yeah, I think it, the weird thing is that the kind of trappings seem more Midwestern, like she's driving through a desert at one point and, and all that stuff. I think they were trying to link it to the Salem Witch Trials, that being Massachusetts. I don't think they linked it hard enough. I think this should have been... A, a place where it was like, oh, we had our own witch trials or whatever, because at the end, spoiler alert, Elvira does get um, tied to a pyre and is they're intending to burn her as a witch. So you would think that they would make that link a little more clear or make this town have some sort of history of hating witchcraft or whatever. But it's really that they just don't like her and she makes them all horny. Well, that's the, that was the surprise to me. As this movie was laying out, it's like, again, Lovecraft Country-esque plot. Uh, I thought 
that she was going to defeat all the squares in town uh, with the power of, like, Halloween. Like, with the power of being spooky. You all don't like how I'm spooky, but here's how spooky I am. I'm going to turn you all around on it. Um, but it's just, they don't like that she has boobs, and she beats them with the power of boobs. Yeah, it's more focused on her. I mean, she does end up being a witch, but it's more focused on her being hot than her being weird. Yeah. Like, people don't like her because she's, the guys are all titillated by her, and and the teenage girls want to be her. Um it's not that she's a freak who stands out. It's that, oh my God, her boobs are out. I am. Um, I really enjoyed this movie in a very genuine way. Um, <laughs> Speaking of. The scene when the kids are painting her house is so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, when the kid goes like, hey, Elvira, I just got another couple volunteers. And the, the like football guys are paying him yes. to come and help paint the house. There are a lot of clever things about the movie. I think there are things that have could, could have been done better, you know, the screenwriting or whatever again it could have it could have i don't know i I said to you during it she is better than this movie yes she's she's just pure charisma i think if if it was like a little spookier if it was happening around halloween and maybe it was like this town isn't allowed to have halloween and so she has to bring halloween to the town much like a footloose situation um, that would have probably made more sense. And again, it was Footloose, but it wasn't dancing or Halloween they were mad at. It was just her boobs. Y- yes, her general... Um, Sexuality. Bearing, yes. So there are things that it could have done better. It could have made the sense of place better. Uh, but she's just a joy to watch. She's very fun. Yeah, so it's on Shutter. I'm sure it's available other places, but uh, if you've got a Shutter subscription, you can go watch that for free. And uh, we are going to, for the whole month of October, tell you about a different seasonally appropriate um, <laughs> ooky spooky movie that we watched. Yeah. So. So stay tuned next week. Um, it's not going to be the Puppet Master yet, but he's coming. Uh, he's always coming. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be forever grateful. We certainly will. And special thanks to our beloved top-tier patrons, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, and Christy Atchison. They and many others are beneficiaries of oodles of content um, (laughs) that you all can have access to if you uh, would like to spend a little bit more time with us every week. No pressure. This feed will always be free. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. If you like our music, come on, I know you like our music. (laughs) This has been a production of Longboy Media.
My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.